One of the many admirable qualities of Jesus was his ability to deal with the raw realities of life like head on. He didn't skirt the issues. He didn't candy things up. He was very simple and very direct and very concrete about the raw realities of life that people have always faced and that we face. And that's one of the things that makes Jesus very attractive, very interesting, very charismatic, very magnetic, very personable, and makes our hearts hunger for him because he had that ability to cut through things. Very, 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 very wise, but able to be very, very simple and direct and clear about the raw realities of life. Now, what is it that the guys down at the coffee shop say are the two inevitable things about life? Death and taxes. Death and taxes. And if you're a tax preparer, you're happy about at least half of that. Because that's your livelihood. Good for you. Yeah. Death and taxes. And Jesus deals with death and taxes. And fishing as well. In today's text, in Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 uh, through 27. Matthew 17, 22 through 27. Death and taxes and, yeah, fishing are still a part of the raw realities of life even today. Am I right? Lynn and Phil are some of our newest members over here. I don't know why they shifted over to this side because they're normally back there, but they're over here and, and uh, we cherish them. And, and uh, it's kind of interesting because in, in, the, in the province of God, Lynn has a Baptist, a regular Baptist pastor brother whose name is Parsons. Is it with an S or no? As with an S. So wouldn't that be cool to be born a parson? And he was a pastor whose name means pastor. So some guys just call the providence, don't they? And uh, that's true with him. So when, when, when they came, Nancy Walls invited Lynn. I think that was be, during a time of great crisis in her life because Lynn's had cancer two times. And, and, and Lynn and Phil started coming, and we got to know them, and it was our privilege, as you recall, for me to baptize Lynn and Phil, and, and it was a lot of fun to kind of call her brother and say, hey, you know, we caught a big fish. I wanted to tell you about it, you know, and got your sister baptized. And I actually said, do you want to come and baptize her? She, she said, he cannot do that because he's a pesky brother that would probably hold me under too long, so I want you to baptize me. <laughs> Isn't that great? So... Just we had a lot of fun. What a what a great thing! But but this, this past week, um, Lois was talking to her late uh, one night after the service, and she said, Lois told me, Ken, I think you need to talk with Lynn because she she's really troubled. And I so I'm, I'm actually in my car and called her, and and uh, she had a test coming up because she had a spot that they saw and it was growing, and so she had a test this week, and uh, she was really scared about that test and she went in to have that test and she's and I said when are you going to know what it is and you know if it's like a life-threatening if it's the cancer is back and she said like the 8th of August and that in itself sounded like sort of a death sentence to have to wait to find out to the 8th of August and then uh, I got a I was talking to somebody in my office and phone rang and somebody left a message and I wish that I should have brought my little phone and played you the message when Lynn called and told me that she was down on her knees weeping and grateful to God because she doesn't have cancer again. Yeah, that's okay to say thank you. 
But what bothered Lynn and Phil and us was the inevitability of death. That's what it really is about now, isn't it? And, and eventually, it's going to take all of us who don't get raptured. That's an inevitable thing. That's what, the guys at the coffee shop are right about that part. That's one of the inevitable things of life, and Jesus dealt with that. Thousands of young people went to celebrate the opening of a movie this week, and you heard the horrible story of that terrible tragedy. And isn't it horrible that things like that are becoming commonplace in our country Thousands of years ago, Jesus dealt with the inevitability of death, and we still deal with it today. Right here, right now, it, the dark cloud of death, it just hangs over all of our heads, and, and, and the older we get, <laughs> the more we think about it. And taxes. <laughs> taxes. Our president, President Obama, and presidential hopeful Romney have been spilling a lot of ink talking about who they're going to tax, who they're not going to tax, and when they tax whoever they're going to tax, who's going to get the stuff that they get from the people that they tax? When you really pay attention to it, that's about all they're talking about. Taxes, 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 death and taxes. And the text that we're looking at today can be dealt with simply under three headings, death, taxes, and fishing. And we're going to hear from the Lord about those things. Verse 22 says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man, there is that name again that Jesus likes to use about himself, that he draws out of Daniel, a messianic reference, a powerful reference that points to his glorious second coming. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. This is the second time that Jesus has instructed his disciples that he would die, that he would be murdered, that he would be buried, and then he would rise again. In chapter, um, in chapter 16 and verse 21, he, he said it there as well. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be be killed, be murdered, and raised the third day. And the same phrase is here, and the third day he will be raised up. And the text is interesting because the disciples, there's a little commentary about the disciples of what, what they say. So Jesus says, oh, I, and I, I want to remind you again because it's like you didn't get it the first time. Remember the first time he said this, Peter says, no, that's not going to happen. And Jesus has to correct him. It's almost like they didn't really get it. And they didn't. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And the Bible says in a book of Luke that they were afraid to ask him to explain explain himself which you don't ever want to do with jesus you want to say help me help me now tell me more explain that to me i need to know they were afraid to do that and so he says i'm going to be murdered i'm going to go to jerusalem to be murdered they'll kill me and the third day i'll be raised up now so is that good news or bad news well it's yeah it's good news isn't it but they how did they see it they said and they were exceedingly sorrowful. I mean, right after it says, and we raised the third day, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. Doesn't that seem funny? And he'll be raised the third day, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. It's like they must have missed that part, right? They must not have fully understood. And that we know by comparison with the text in the Luke passage, they just didn't really get it. And Jesus then is trying to describe to them, I'm going to die. They're just getting used to the idea that he's the Messiah, the Son of Man, the one that will come and establish his theocratic kingdom and power and glory, and that won't be great. Woo, I'm on that team. That's going to be exciting. You're going to die? 
I don't get that. He's like, yes, I'm going to suffer and die. And oh, remember, and you're going to follow me, you're going to suffer too. So they're just like processing that. And we're still processing that today, aren't we? I'm a follower of Jesus, that's going to be good, right? Yes, it's going to be good. And I'm not going to suffer, right? Oh no, you're going to follow the man of sorrows through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what he's going to do. Really? Yeah. Oh no, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, if you want to follow Christ, you have to take up your cross. Cross? Ooh, that doesn't sound good. This is what it is to follow Jesus. It's not all like a, you know, a little frolic in the park thing. It's like we don't live in Camelot and, and visit Disney World on the weekend. It's not the way it works. There's, there's suffering and, 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 de- and then de- death. And Jesus is going to die, but then he's going to rise again. And the whole kingdom that's going to unfold with the glory and the second coming in glory and the theocratic kingdom and the reign of Christ on earth and all that they understood to be a part of all the messianic promises is going to be deferred into the future. It's going to happen, but it's not going to happen yet. And they can't get their minds wrapped around that. So all they hear is he's going to die. They don't hear, and he's going to rise again. They don't hear it. And then he talks to them about taxes. Now, we're going to deal with these two things together. They go together. You don't understand the second thing we're going to talk about, the taxes and the fishing piece. You're not going to really understand why Jesus talked about that unless you understand that he talked about that in, as a part of his instruction that he's going to die and he's going to go away and this is a part of God's plan. And this is where it really is going to land right in your life today too. And it's going to be edifying and helpful and applicable to you, I think, this morning is to realize how those two things connect together. Just a simple word of application here. And think about it. If you listen and you pay attention carefully to what Jesus said, if you listen and you pay attention to carefully what Jesus said, do what he said, you don't need to fear death like other people fear death. Do you see what I'm saying? They didn't listen and pay attention carefully to what he said. They didn't quite get it. He goes, I'm going to die. I'm going to be you know, buried and rise again the third day. And they're like, oh, no. And he's like, rise again the third day. Rise, rise again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to life. I mean, any kid in Sunday school, when, you know, the first time a kid in Sunday school hears that, they're like, he came back to life. They killed him, but he, I remember, the first, I remember telling my firstborn that story the first time that they killed him, but he didn't stay dead. I mean, if you have a brain, that's a pretty cool story right there. But if you've like heard it a thousand times, you, you may have like, oh, and then he comes back to life. He comes back to life. <laughs> that's what he does. The disciples kind of like, they missed this. If you listen to Jesus and do what he says, you don't need, that's what they failed to do. If you listen to Jesus and do what he says, you don't need to fear death like others fear death. They didn't really have to fear that. They could have said to him, tell me more about that whole coming back to life kind of thing. I want to know more about that. Friend, listen to me. Jesus Christ, who created this whole entire beautiful universe that you and I live in, and He created you, and He knew the length of your life, He knew how you would die, He knew when you would die, has prepared a place for you that is amazing if you will believe and if you will trust in Him. And you do not need to fear death like those that do not have hope. And you can jog and eat vegetables and you can cut your cholesterol. And you can do whatever that they tell you to do and you should do all of those things. Up the jogging part, I don't think that God wants you to jog. I think He wants you to just relax and walk. But do all those things that you, that you need to do. And someday you're still going to die. 
But you don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope. That's our introduction to eternal life. Isn't it interesting how when somebody dies that knows the Lord, we talk about them in the past tense like they don't exist anymore. But they do exist anymore. They're more alive than they've ever been. They're more full of life and energy and vitality and youthfulness and worship and holiness than they've ever been before. The moment that they pass into glory, they're more alive than they've ever been. They're very much alive. That's the message of the Gospel. That by believing in the righteousness of Christ, I can have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let's keep going here. Death. We're dealing with that prediction together with the taxes. And Let's go to the taxes now. Look at verses 24 and 26. Verses 24 through 26. When they came to Capernaum. Now, this is Jesus going back to his adopted hometown where Peter's house is. His adopted headquarters, if you will. He's been traveling around Galilee. He's been making way. He's coming back now and he's been gone at the time when the normal two drachma temple tax, the annual temple tax is collected by the the temple tax collector. This is not a Roman tax that's enforced by civil government. This is an ecclesiastical tax. comes out of the Old Testament, and it's, 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 a, it's somewhat voluntary, and it's enforced by uh, religious leaders, not by civil authorities, so it's different. Now, notice he, that somebody comes, the temple tax collector comes to Peter and says, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Sounds negative. Sounds like it's expressed in the negative in the, in the English Bible here. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Let me ask you a question. If you're a tax collector, you've got to be pretty good at knowing whether or not people have paid their taxes. Am I right? I mean, that's basically, if you're not good at that, you're not a good tax collector. Tax collectors know if you've paid your taxes. They know more than Santa Claus. They know if you paid your taxes, right? That's, that, that's their job. He comes along and says, did Jesus pay his taxes? Do you think if he knew if Jesus paid his tax yet? I think he knew that Jesus didn't pay his tax yet. Does your master not pay his taxes? And Peter, he answers immediately, oh yes, he pays his taxes. Oh yes. Now why did he say that? Why did, you, why did Peter immediately answer yes? Because we're going to know a little bit later on if <laughs> Jesus had not paid this tax yet. Well, why did Peter say yes? I, I, we don't know. The, the text doesn't say but we have some, like, like we have some uh, sanctified guesses that we can make. Is that okay? One might be, well, it's the character of Jesus to keep a law and to do what's right, and he's fastidious about that, and so Peter's, like, maybe answering the question based on the kind of guy he knows Jesus is. Well, he's the kind of guy that would pay all the taxes that he owes, so no doubt he did. Or it might be, more likely, that it's an annual tax, and Peter had seen Jesus pay this tax before. But Peter hadn't seen him pay this year's because he hadn't paid it. But he said, yes, here's my opinion about it. I think Peter is feeling exposed, and there's a reason a little bit later on I'll tell you why. I think Peter is just, this is kind of like his, he's bluffing, that's what I think. I think Peter's bluffing. Yes. And then he's thinking to himself, I wonder if he did do that. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. The text doesn't say, but the next thing that happens is kind of interesting. He says, yes. Now when he had come to the house, change of scenery, right? This must have been outdoors that he was confronted and he was asked a question by the task collectors. Now poor Peter's going to go inside and guess who's going to ask him a question now? <laughs> Jesus. Uh-oh. <laughs> Jesus is going to ask him. He's like the... Let's admire Jesus for a minute here. We'll do it a little bit more later. Um, did you like the choir song today? <laughs> I, was, I like that. 
We're just, it's because it's just like, let's just say a whole bunch of good things about Jesus right together. <laughs> That's good for our soul, isn't it? That's like getting right up to the Outback Steakhouse and eating a steak for our soul. You know, yeah. There I am, always referring to food during messages, which is difficult for you, I'm sure. Here we have Peter. Now Jesus is going to ask him a question. Jesus is admirable for this as well, that he is the quintessential teacher. When he, when he needs to tell a story, he's got the right story to tell. When he needs to ask a question, he's got the right question to ask. Never too much, never too little. He lands every time. He asked Peter a question with a kind of a story here. Did you catch it? Yes, Peter says, verse 25, and he had come to the house. Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons? Or from strangers. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to be Peter at this point? You're like, oh, did Jesus overhear this? Or was it miraculous? Was this an exhibition of Jesus' omniscience? Or did he overhear it? The text doesn't say. But Jesus immediately says to Peter, see, Peter, let me ask you a question. If I was a king, would I tax my own sons or somebody else's? And we always wanted to have ten kids. We only managed to have eight. And my, my wife, I was going to have more. And my wife said, the next kid you have is going to be a grandkid. So get, it, get over it. Um, but, but I was thinking 10 would be cool. And here's why I had a little plan, a little, a little plan. It's sort of like a taxation. You have 10 kids and then each one of those kids, you know, you feed them and clothe them and you you give them all that. And then when they get old enough to make money, they give you 10% of their income. And then you get a rocking chair and you go out on the porch and you let kids. You know, I, that's, I just thought it was my plan. I'm kidding, of course. I didn't really think that. But I was a kid, people, and I would say, that's my plan. Every kid's going to give me 10% of their income. Now, if you have kids that have grown up, you know it doesn't work like that. I mean, they may give you a nice gift every once in a while, a card, or they may come home and, and live with you. I mean, you, know, you just never know what's going to happen, right? It's just, it'd be great, you know. But, but they're not going to give you 10% of their income. It, it's probably not going to happen. Maybe when you're really old and, and they feel really bad for you, they might. Jesus is saying here, does a king tax his own sons? And the obvious answer to that is, no, he taxes somebody else's sons. So who's the king and who's the son? Who's the king and who's the son? Oh, Peter gets this, the father is the king and Jesus is the son. I am the son of God. I don't know taxes. I'm the Lord of the earth. I'm the Lord of the temple. I'm the Lord of the whole dance. Jesus is in charge of everything. Everything is because of Him and for Him and through Him, by Him. He doesn't owe anything to temple. He is God in the flesh. Why would He have to pay a temple tax? And this extends to us who are the sons of God. The temple thing is going away. Jesus is very clear. This may be why the people came and they inquired with Peter, one of Jesus' close associates, or maybe the guy, because they're like catching hints that maybe Jesus isn't all as wired about the temple as they are. And he's not, because it's passing away. It's gonna, the plot's going to really thicken later on when Jesus himself comes into the temple, starts flipping them tables over and driving people out with whips. They're going to go, hmm... Would you say at this point, does Jesus look for or against the temple? It looked like he'd be against the temple. That's another story for another day. But there are hints earlier on. Jesus says, one who is greater than the temple is here. So this is probably why they're asking questions like that. What's this mean? I wonder if he pays the temple tax. Peter, yes, he does. Jesus says, 
Basically, should I pay the temple tax? Using a little question-story to say to Peter, do I owe tax? And Peter basically answers, the sons don't pay taxes, i.e., you don't owe taxes. And Jesus is like, you're right, Peter. I don't. This is not a tax I'm responsible for because the temple is for me, (laughs) and I'm greater than the temple. Two questions. No, he doesn't owe. So now we get to the fishing part. Is verse 27, Jesus is going to tell Peter to go fishing, which is what Peter does. Fishing is an interesting topic. Maybe not quite as inevitable as death and taxes, but a lot of people like it and talk about it. Thousands of people, millions of people in the world are fishing right now. Probably most of them are Seventh-day Adventists. What do you think, huh? Like they went to church yesterday and they're fishing. No. They're fishing right now. They're watching about fishing. Are they thinking about Some of you right now are thinking about fishing. While pastors are laboring to get you to think Godward thoughts, you are thinking about fishing. Jesus knew that. He knew that Peter was a fisherman. And he says says something unique to Peter. He says, go fish. (laughs) That's what he tells Peter. Go fish. Peter's Peter's like, what? Yeah, and you're going to catch a fish, and in its mouth are going to be tax money. You can pay my taxes. That's what he tells him in verse 27. There's a little more to it we'll get to later. But that's what he tells him. Go fish. You're going to get money. Pay the taxes. Hope and I, last week we were up in a little place in Michigan, and one of the great natural resources in the state of Michigan is the Osable River. Would you agree? There's a section of the Osable River that we always cross ourselves. The only time we ever cross ourselves is humorously when we cross the holy waters of the Osable River. You may understand that. It's a section of that river is holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart only for fly fishermen to fish. If you fish there with something else, they will arrest you. If you fish with flies, you're within the law. They call it the holy waters, facetiously. So Hope and I decided that we would put our feet in the holy waters of, Asa, of the Asabal. And there's some pretty sweet water up there. So we drove my little Jeep down there and got out, and we waded right down into the Asabal River. We stood there for a while until some rowdies came to canoe, and then we left. Fishing occupies the minds of lots of people, I've noticed, And especially occupied Peter's mind. Don't look at Peter as like people. Sometimes people say, Peter was just an ignorant fisherman. Well, you know, I went to Capernaum and I saw his house and that ignorant fisherman had a really nice house. So I don't know how ignorant he was. Because that was the big deal. The big commerce of the day was fishing. Peter was a fisherman among fishermen. I'm thinking that Peter was probably a good fisherman with a a prosperous fisherman with the big house. That's just... You know, an educated guess. Not an ignorant man by any means. Uh, not, a, not a peasant by any means, but, but probably a, a prosperous, bright businessman, fisherman guy, businessman. And, and Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus says to Peter, do what you do, and you're going to get the, what you need. You can pay my taxes with that. It's kind of interesting. History abounds with stories like this. You can look, search the Internet, and you can find tons of interesting stories about things that fish picked up in their mouths. Some fish are made to do that. Well, they, they, they get the eggs off of this particular fish. Jesus says to Peter, you're going to go, you're going to put in a hook, and you're going to catch a fish. He's going to have a coin in his mouth to pay the taxes with. And, I, and inevitably, when you tell that story, what do people say? Inevitably, you say, I wish it was that easy to pay my taxes. Just go get a fish and the tax in its mouth and I pay. I wish it was like It's not like that. 
Now you understand this two, this temple tax, this annual two drachma temple tax would have been about a couple of days wages. So it wasn't an exorbitant, it wasn't a, like an annual, it was an annual tax, but it wasn't a huge tax. It was a, sort of a manageable tax, but a tax it was. And you might be thinking, well, now what about that? I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't help me much. But think about that. Jesus is telling Peter, go do what you do. And in the course of what you do, I'm going to provide in the course of what you do to take care of what needs to be taken care of. It's kind of instructive or interesting to me. There is an odd tool that I found. I don't know if I bought it, if my wife bought it for me. Uh, it, you know, I don't know what happened. But I found this odd tool. One time I was looking through a toolbox. I'm not really good at that. I think I may have mentioned that before. And I see this odd tool. It's just like really weird. It kind of was long. It had a funny little claw on the end of it. And I looked at that and I thought, huh, that looks interesting. But I have no idea what it is. But it looked interesting. And so I put it back. And then a while later, I'd see it again. And then one day, the garbage disposal kind of seized up. And I, I used a broom handle on it before. And that didn't work out very well. It created some other problems. And, and it was with the in-laws. And, and, and they still remember that. It's, it's not good. And, and I won't tell you that. It's a very sad story. You'd feel badly for me. It was at Christmas time. And my, my sister-in-law still really mistreats me often for that. But I won't mention it today. But, but another, but another, so I thought I won't use, <laughs> I won't use the, the broom handle. I'll use, I, I bet that tool that it would reach down and it has a little kind of a locking like head on it. And I could put it down there and it would, it would have like a self-locking head. I'm using all the wrong terms for you guys that know what this is. You're sitting there going, the, the man's an idiot. That's a widget, whatever, you know. But I'm like, I don't know what it is. But it worked. It, it freed it up. Later on, I got to thinking about up that inaccessible spot up underneath the, where you, we're, uh, in the sink that always gets loose, that little thing would reach up and that you're nodding, so that must be what it's for. And it would tighten that. I'm like, yeah, that's the... So now that tool is like, don't mess with that because when that widget gets loose, I'm going to use that widget to tighten it and I don't have to pay somebody lots of money. You know, that's what I'm going to use. That's a special tool. I said that so that you would never forget what I'm about to tell you that is super important. I have a special tool. I've used it before. You've seen me use it before. I want you to get good at using this tool. If you use this hermeneutical tool, a tool that helps you understand the Bible, it will like, boom, open the riches of the Bible to you in a very special way. Would you like me to tell you what my special tool is? Okay, students, here it is. Ask this question of a text, especially the narrative there. Ask this question. Why is this here? Why is this here? Why did God the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to put this story here? These stories were carefully chosen from all the other stories that could be told. Matthew's the only one who tells this story. Why did Matthew put this here? That's a great question to ask. Like a special tool. Get that tool out every time you look at a passage like this and use it. Why is this here? Ask yourself that question. When you get a good answer to that question, the riches of God's Word will open to you in application in a really cool way. And that's what happened when I did that. Why would Jesus be talking about death and then he immediately starts talking about how to pay taxes and the dominance of the temple and all that and why would that's the first audience then in this is in the narrative is who it's jesus talking to his disciples the second audience is who matthew is the speaker or writer and the holy spirit and the reader of matthew the original readers in particular of matthew are the audience right but the holy spirit looking down through the centuries of time, knew that you and I would be here with our Bibles open in our lap, but we're the third audience. So think about this. What would this mean to the first audience, the disciples, in the immediate proximity of Jesus? He says, I'm going to die, 
and the theocratic kingdom isn't going to start right away, you're still going to pay taxes to a government you don't agree with. And by the way, it's going to get a lot worse. So he's saying, this is how you're going to live after I'm gone. It is possible to live in victory and have your needs met and follow me. And still, even when you're being taxed by an unsympathetic government that's doing stuff with your money you don't like, it is still possible to be a part of my growing secret kingdom that's going to one day erupt into a theocratic open kingdom with Jesus reigning physically and personally on earth after his return in power and great glory. In this period of time you're about to enter, it's possible for you to live a victorious life. And I'm telling you the same thing. Now in Matthew, when Matthew writes this to the people, he writes this, and then Jerusalem immediately falls and the temple is destroyed. And you say, what happens to the temple tax then? There's no more temple. So they would not have to pay a temple tax because the temple service and the temple itself and the maintenance of the temple, they've all been destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. So what happens? The Romans, never missing a good opportunity to tax people, decide they're going to keep this tax in place, but now what they're going to do with the money is they're going to take the money and they're going to send it to Rome for a temple to Jupiter. So the people of God still have to pay the tax. And the people that were reading this book, the original readers of this book, most of them would have lived in a time when the tax that was taken from them, the temple tax, wasn't a temple to God. It was a temple to a false god. And Jesus is saying, render unto Caesar. Quite literally. It's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. So, why did he tell the story? Let me give you three why the fish story. To display who Jesus is would have been the first thing. Think about who Jesus is. Jesus is, has penetrating knowledge. He knows that Peter just said he paid his taxes when he hadn't paid his taxes yet. Jesus is conscious that he is the Son of God. He tells that little cute story basically revealing, I'm the Son of God. Jesus knew that, of course, and said that. Jesus is considerate. He's considerate of the misunderstanding that's going to come. Even though he doesn't owe the tax, he's going to say, pay the tax because we don't want to offend them unnecessarily. He's considerate. That's nice of him. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said, get over it. You don't get it. It's because you're dumb. Too bad. That's your fault. <laughs> but he was considerate. This is one of the things that makes him attractive. He has authority over land and sea. He has, he has authority over the sea and everything that's in it. If he wants a fish to pick up a coin and get caught on a hook, he can do it. <laughs> it's a very few people can fish like that. you got the depth, they got a fish finder thing, and you got a little picture down there, little fishies that are slime. You know, you got to give them just the right thing, you know, liver, bloody liver, or whatever you're using, you know. You drop that in there, and then on a good day, if everything's right, and the moon and sun are lined up, you catch fish, unless you're Jeff Hash, and you just like, you know, you just like put your boat, they all jump in. That's how it works for him, I think. And they take pictures of those, you know, right? Jesus is like, you go fish. There's going to be a fish with a coin in its mouth, use a hook. You're going to have what you... And he tells the exact amount of money you're going to be in a fish's mouth. Would you say this is unusual? I would say this is unusual. He's the king. He, Jesus is reverent. He's reverent. He's compassionate. He's generous. He's magnetic. He's attractive. I think one of the reasons that Matthew tells a story, this, falls, this story falls in line with all the other stories about, look who Jesus is! Look who Je-. That's the main thing Matthew's saying. That's the main thing that Matthew is saying to his audience, and that's the main thing that we're going to get out of this. And we often look in the Word of God, look who Jesus is. Whatever problems you have, don't forget who Jesus is. When you forget who Jesus is, then your problems get big. When you remember who Jesus is, then your problems tend to get into perspective. 
So the story here is to show what Jesus is like, how wonderful he is, how wonderful he is in any circumstance, how lovely he is, how beautiful he is, how he can be trusted, how magnetic, how charismatic, how personable, how attractive Jesus is. Worthy of worship forever and ever. That's one of the reasons that this story is told. Another reason for the fish story is to shift the focus to the one who is greater than the temple. Jesus is going to do away with the temple in his providence. And he is going to say, this temple's going down, and there's a whole new program going on here. And he wants to, and this is a, this is a, 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 a way that Jesus has of instructing that that's what's going to happen. What, now, think about this real quickly. Or think about it as long as you want to. I'm just going to say it quickly. Um, keep thinking about this throughout the week as I say it quickly here. These men that were maintaining the temple were working hard, and they were devoted to something that was like yesterday to Jesus. <laughs> you don't want to do that, right? Hey, this is my tradition. I like it. Really? Does Jesus like it? I'm just curious. Well, I would die for this. Would Jesus die for it? I'm just curious. You know, you might want to figure that out. Isn't that a great question? These guys are devoted to the temple. They're going, this is the temple of God. Jesus is going, not anymore. They're like, what? Yeah, trust me. You're going to listen to him? Or are you going to say, no way. I will die here. Yeah, you will. Many of you will die there. Isn't that interesting? Don't pour yourself into something. Don't devote yourself to something, no matter how holy it is, if Jesus isn't devoted to it. Figure out what Jesus is devoted to and devote yourself to that. Figure out what Jesus' plan is in this world right now and pour yourself into Jesus' plan for this world right now. And I can give you a hint. It's the Great Commission. It's finding out of this people, people that can be redeemed for Christ's sake in His name. It's finding people who other people don't love and telling them about the One who always has and always will love them. How cool is that? Winning those people to faith in Jesus Christ, loving them till they ask you why. That's his program. That's what we want to be devoted to because that is what Jesus is devoted to. We don't want to be devoted to our traditions. We don't want to be devoted to something that Jesus doesn't care about. Amen? Amen? We don't want to be say, Jesus, tell me what you care about and help me care about what you care about. We'll come back to that again. And then the third reason is to instruct the disciples about how to deal with the raw realities of life in the present age. The age they live in and the age we live in is going to be filled with death, taxes, and fishing. And he wants them to be prepared for that. He wants them to be prepared to deal with the raw realities of life. He's good like that. And I appreciate that about him, don't you? To emphasize that, I want you to notice the last two, that my favorite part of this passage has always been the last two words, which is like a little cute little twist on this. We're going to read them in a minute, but let me ask you a quick question here. And I want you all to vote, which you never do, but I want you all to vote. All the good people are going to vote now, and the bad people are not going to vote. So look around, you know who the bad people are. Okay. Good people. Here we go. Here we go. Did Peter catch a fish and pay Jesus' temple tax with it? How many say, yes, he did? Raise your hand. Put it down. How many say, no, he didn't? Raise your hand. How many say, I don't know? Raise your hand. Uh Ah, the right people right there. You don't know. You don't know because it doesn't say. Yeah, read it real carefully. It doesn't say. It's one of those cool things storytellers do. When they want to create emphasis, they tell a story. They go, and then, they, like, and then the handsome guy, and there's a beautiful maiden, and then they, they look across the room, and then finally the credits are rolling. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does the, was the hero get the, the beautiful girl or not? I, I don't know. It's like, I know. 
You don't, do you? That's the end of the story. You can kind of imagine that. He did. You, certainly he must have. You know, all the, all the obstacles were worked out, so he must have won the fair maiden in the end, but you don't get to see it. It's like a storyteller's technique to kind of like leave you hanging to create an emphasis in Jesus. This is what Matthew does in this story. He says, it's like, it, and it's obviously not the most important thing whether or not this really did happen, whether or not Peter went and did this thing, and that's what happened. My guess is, of course he did. But it doesn't say he did. Because the real issue is not whether he did trust Jesus and do what Jesus said because the real issue is whether you will trust Jesus and do what Jesus said. And the reason we get that emphasis is the last two words. I think it's awesome. I've always loved this. Peter, Jesus uses Peter in a significant way to build his church. And Peter had not paid his taxes either. (laughs) I just like that. I'm sorry. I just think that's kind of cool. Jesus says to him, go catch the fish, get get the money out of his mouth and pay my taxes and yours. Is that, is that like anybody else like that part? I have liked that part for years and years and years. Every time I've read that, I think, Jesus, thank you for the way you wrote the Bible. There's mercy all over this book. There is mercy and grace and love and kindness and patience all over this book. And this one is one. And so it says in verse 27, Nevertheless, lest we, have, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, Take the fish that comes up first, and when you've opened his mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and and you. So if you have Jesus, you don't need to worry about death or taxes or fishing or anything.